Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics, and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the WAGS of SEI podcast. Here we go. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases, and they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGS of SCI sent you. everybody and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts Brooke Paget and Elena Pauly. Uh, today we are talking about a topic that doesn't really get talked about a lot, um, especially where we're from in Canada. We're not sure about the States, but this isn't something that comes up a lot on our private group or message boards or anything like that. Um, it is called tendon transfers or nerve transfer surgery. And the reason we're talking about this today is because Elena's partner, Dan, actually just went through this surgery. So we thought it was a good idea to hop on the podcast and talk about exactly what it is and from Elena's experience, what she's going through and what her partner is going through so that if this is something that you're considering or your partner's considering, um, you have more information and you have kind of a discussion about it from our mouths, people that have actually gone through it, because sometimes the healthcare system cannot be very helpful when it comes to this kind of stuff. So just to give everybody out there a little idea of what this is. Um, so this is from one of the scientific papers uh, of nerve transfer surgery from University of Washington. So nerve transfers involve rerouting or, quote, transferring working nerves above the level of injury, 
to restore function in a crucial nerve below the level of injury. Nerve transfers for spinal cord injury take a nerve connected to the spinal cord above the region of of injury and attach it to a working nerve in the arm to innervate muscle function. So it's it's a compl- complex surgery and it's not well known. So we are happy to be able to provide some discussion around this topic and get some, you know, real life experience of what is happening from our perspective mm-hmm. um, around the surgery. So Elena, why don't you um, talk about what's going on? Because this was only a week ago that he had the surgery, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody who follows our Instagram page this past weekend, Dan and I did hop on the channel and we made a few videos about why did Dan undergo the nerve transfer surgery? So first of all, to kind of rewind a little bit, Dan, my boyfriend, Dan, AKA quad chef, um, found out about this surgery and that he, he was a good candidate to undergo this pretty intensive surgery. In my opinion, um, of the nerve transfer where like Brooke had just mentioned, they take the nerves and rewire them to the working nerves. And then it takes a, it takes a while for the nerves to regrow around the, the nerves that are wired together to be able to hopefully um, regain finger, finger flexion, a wrist movement for those of those, for those of you who don't have that. Um, and so forth to be able to have a pinch to make a beak sort of a, uh, hand function to be able to pull up your pants is what Dan is hoping for now. And, and this is very customizable, right? Like it's not yeah. a one size fit all, right? It's kind of like God, to suit no. your goals, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Thing, of course. And there's a very low risk. There is very, very low risk to not regain something and you won't lose anything. So I guess that was sort of from the appointments that Dan and I both went to with Dr. Brown, who was the surgeon who performed the operation here in Vancouver. Um, you know, they were very, they were very honest with us and said, you know, this will be a lot of work for the person who's caring for the individual who underwent the surgery, which would be me in this case. Um, and that was something that we had to prepare for. Now for also for those of you who know or don't know, Dan and I just moved into our new accessible home two weeks ago. So we're still, it was sort of like a rapid fire of <laughs> do the big move. Dan's sister got married the next week. The next week he had this nerve transfer. It was a day surgery here in Canada. So Dan found out about this operation from the upper extremity clinic at GF Strong Rehab Center here in Vancouver. Um, GF Strong is a rehab center that anybody in British Columbia, Canada would be flown out to um, for the stay of four months or so forth for their rehab after spinal cord injury. It's a great facility. Um, That is a facility that Dan is going to be working at starting next week. So everything's just kind of happening really fast for us here. And, and um, yeah, we're just trying to take it one time, one step at a time. So anyways, so Dan had his operation last Tuesday. Today is Monday. So almost a week ago. And from my experience, I dropped him off. I think we were up at like 4am. He had to have a shower the night before the shower, a shower in the morning as well to be really, really clean for the OR. Uh, I dropped him off at 530 in the morning. And off he went. The last time I saw Dan, he went independently with his uh, backpack and his power assist, his smart drive. 
So I drop him off early in the morning. I sort of waited around. I was supposed to pick him up. They called me, basically said that he had um, blood pressure and heart rate issues, so to speak. Not really. It's AD, basically. He had AD when they went to put him under. Which and- is why it's good for someone that doing this surgery to know about spinal cord injuries because that's so common for, for SCI, right? It's, it's totally. not something that other doctors may necessarily know about, right? Yeah, totally. So which is, you're totally right, because a lot of doctors don't know about autonomic dysreflexia. And Um, the low blood pressure, high blood pressure thing, like even the low blood pressure mm -hmm. thing, most doctors are like, eh, like they have to like call around and their colleagues to understand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, and it's good because when the doctor called me to come pick Dan up, he said, you know, um, was he, was he, plan to spend the night and I said no no I'm gonna come pick him up and then I was sort of ready to hop in my car and go get him and he basically explained you know his um, heart rate and blood pressure he had a few issues there but it's normal and we're gonna keep him for the remainder of the day just to monitor everything so I thought okay sure and then and then when he you know even I the girlfriend of somebody with a spinal cord injury was sort of like oh my god what's going on and he said you know no no this is pretty normal for for SCI and then it took me a little bit to be like okay that's 80 <laughs> that's happening right not something to be concerned about so I picked him up and he was completely out of it. He was not dressed. He was still in his gown, um, in dwelling catheter. He, you know, they kind of looked at him and I said, is he going to be able to transfer to sliding board transfer into my vehicle? And, um, I drive, I drive a fairly small vehicle. It's a Veloster high end. It's kind of got like the bucket seats that hug you. So, which makes it really interesting for transfer because you kind of get stuck in them. Like you really have to like pull somebody out of them. Um, so then I was sort of worried because usually he can use his, his arm, you know, his arms to sort of push a little bit off the sides and, and assist me with that. So, but, but I saw the state that he was in and I sort of thought, uh, I'm not sure about this. Like, why wouldn't he be, um, tra- you know, transferred like hospital transferred back home or maybe yeah. even a handy dart or something. Cause he's already in his manual chair. So then I go pick him up um, and he's out of it and he cannot help me at all. So then we, I bring him home and right away I thought, you know, maybe he should like just rest. Maybe if he rests today, then maybe tomorrow he'll be fine. Like not fine, but they were basically saying, oh yeah, you'll be able to push your wheelchair. You, you'll be, you should be totally fine. Um, I don't know. I guess the sense of security in my mind was if he's going to be able to transfer himself, like help me transfer him. Usually he transfers himself pretty independently into my vehicle. It's the getting out that he needs more help with, but he wasn't able to do that at all. So then right away, I sort of thought, okay, so we got home. I sort of, you know, we don't usually use our overhead um, lift to get him into bed. Again, this is something we've been working on pretty well all of COVID was getting him in and out of bed independently with a sliding board, which he can do on his own. So now we're using this lane again um, and the overhead lift, which we were like, we're so lucky to have these pieces of equipment over our bed. Um, This is like a huge help for especially things like this. 
So I get him into bed and he's got spasms and the spasms are so uncomfortable because it's sort of pulling at the nerves um, at the site of incision and operation and rewiring so that these areas are very, very tender that, you know, that he's been cut into. And then he sort of lay in bed for the rest of the day and he's got his indwelling catheter in. So of course he's got his leg bag and then I have to hook him up with the night bag, which again is like going back to the beginning for us because dad does receive Botox in his bladder to have, to be able to do in and out catheters independently throughout the day. He can do those usually by himself too, which is, you know, which is what we're used to. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been a week now. So then the next day I said, do you want to get up? Like we live in a really nice area now where we can just go right down to the water. We usually like to sit there and people watch and, and just sort of like enjoy the sunset. And he was like, no, I'm really not feeling good. So he hasn't left the house all week. He's been spending the majority of his time in bed, but because he's staying in bed, the spasms, he's getting more rigid, right? Because not a whole lot of movement, except for getting up in the morning to have a shower, you know, do the bowel program. He'll get up for a couple of hours and then his arms are so heavy because you have to have them elevated um, to reduce the swelling in the arms that he's got, you know, pillows all around him, pillows on his feet, like by his feet, by his legs again, um, the whole bit, he can't always, he can't open his water bottle by himself. He can't, like, he just doesn't have that strength anymore, which he used to be able to do. He could pop the top and he could drink out of it. Right. Um, so we're sort of like, now we're considering, you know, I think today I might go buy like the camel pack again and, and do that for him. It's, it's really interesting because I feel like this is a really good test for both of us in terms of I feel like we're we're sort of going back to and he said the same thing. He said, you know, I feel like I have baby strength again. Like I can't push my chair. I can't do anything. If he wants to go from one side of the room to to the other side of the room, I have to go and push him with his manual chair. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting because Brooke's like, oh, well, you kind of know what I feel like because you are like the primary caregiver for your partner, Evan, who is a higher level. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm starting to feel a little bit like that where he he really needs help with everything, which is totally fine too. But it's an interesting transition because we're so used to him being on the go and doing things on his own. Yeah, that is interesting. And I also find it really interesting because I've heard this a lot. Like when doctors tell you like an outcome, like after a surgery for SCI, I feel like they're telling you an outcome for like an able-bodied person with a normal regulated nervous system, not someone with a spinal cord injury. It's like, okay, like I, I just don't think they really understand, even though they're doctors, like, okay, yeah, he'll be fine to push his chair and he'll be good. It's like, well, not necessarily. Like these guys have very impacted nervous systems and it takes a long time to rebuild mm-hmm. that, you know, in an able-bodied person, of course it would, but also a guy with a, with a compromised nervous system and all that stuff, it's going to take a while to like get your, your, your feedback, so to speak. Right. Well, not to mention you had an operation you were operated on, you know, and that takes a long time for your body to get used to as well. Your body is thinking, you know, I've had a foreign, foreign object, you know, cutting me open and fiddling around with very important nerves in your body that are your functional nerves that do, 
you know, provide a lot for you, even, even just for being and sitting in your chair the way you are. And now it's that that's going to take a lot of healing and a lot of time and patience. And I wish, I guess I wish that at this point, I don't want to go back and be like, Oh, I wish we were better prepared. But in the same sense, I do because here I am now waking up six, seven times a night. Um, the spasms are pretty bad. So he's mm. crunched into a little pretzel. He's in pain. He's uncomfortable. He needs water. He needs me to check the leg bag. He needs me to help him straighten out. Like before, it's pretty typical for us to wake up about three times a night. But mm. now it's significantly skyrocketed where he's really uncomfortable, which which means, and we've made so many memes about this, you know, when your partner wakes you up in the middle of the night and you literally look like the exorcist and you're mm-hmm. trying to like find your way around your bed to their bed to try to figure out what it is that they need when you're mm-hmm. half awake. So the quality of sleep is just not there. It's been a week of this, which is not that bad. Um, they said that it would be two weeks until he will go back to be looked at and, and reassessed. But you know, the other day Dan looked at me and we were going to bed and he was like, have I done something totally crazy here? And for somebody who was so confident and so ready to, you know, he was just so excited and he still is. He like, we're so very hopeful. He's, he's so in so much discomfort. His, his one hand, his dominant hand, his right hand is okay in terms of like the what we're expecting for healing and like the prognosis of like the state of healing that he's going through. It seems like, okay, we've got, we understand that, but his left hand it's on fire. It's on pins and needles. It's tingling. It's just comfortable or uncomfortable. And to the point that he's made some phone calls to his doctors already saying, is this normal? I'm concerned. And, um, you know, from what I know of Dan for almost a decade of dating him is that he doesn't usually make too big of a fuss, even if he's sick or if something's wrong. He's usually sort of sucks it up a little bit. So for him to be going out of his way to contact people thinking, is this normal? You know, he's a little bit worried. Is this what I'm going to have to go through now? Is this nerve pain, this discomfort? Or is it is this going to subside? And of course, the doctors, you know, they're call they're picking up his phone calls and calling him back and saying, well, Dan, this is quite normal. Give it a, give it some time. But for anybody who who knows spinal cord injury and what it feels like to be in, in discomfort, one day is a long period of time to be feeling these very intense physiological reactions to something that you've just undergone Um, a whole, you know, a whole day can make you crazy if you're feeling so uncomfortable. So he's, he's playing it pretty cool. I think the biggest thing for us or for me is that because we have just moved our care provider has changed. We are now in a different district of Vancouver, which is actually only a five minute drive from where we used to live, but it's considered a different area of Vancouver that we have a whole new healthcare team of nurses that come in. And when I say a whole new team, we get an hour in the morning, five days a week, which it doesn't seem like a lot to do like bowel shower or the whole thing, but for it makes a huge difference. Like this morning, for example, he ran out of time, so they had to leave without showering him. And um, brutal. 
yeah. So she came in and she, she came in and these are people that don't know us yet. So we're getting used to them too. And very, very loud, rang the doorbell about four times, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And then shows up and hi, Dan, I'm so-and-so. And she's yelling and screaming. And I was sort of kind of trying to get a little bit of sleep because I just don't sleep right now. And Dan said to her, I heard him, you know, my girlfriend's having a nap in the other room. Like you don't need to yell because I think they're so used to working with old people. Again, it's like yeah. the system of caregivers through the government is they're working with people across a large spectrum. It's not just somebody with SEI. A lot of the time they don't really know SEI. And I guess when he said to her, um, I think I need a digital stim. She said, she kind of looked at him and said, what's that? So, the one this morning did? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. This morning she said, I don't, know, I don't know what you mean. And then he said, you know, I didn't want to explain it to her. So I just kind of said, okay, forget it. So then now me, I'm sort of ready for either an accident to happen and me clean it up or I don't know what's going to happen. And then she was panicked all morning and she said, um, I'm, I'm running out of time. I don't think you have time to have a shower. And he said, you know what? Fine. Don't give me a shower. I had a shower last night. Um, just please get me dressed and into my chair. So then this morning when she left, finally, um, I was, I sort of, I want to give him the privacy and space to be able to navigate his own care. But I came out and I said, what was that about? And he was like, I was like, did you not get a shower this morning? He was like, no, I didn't. So again, there's just a whole heap of navigation happening for us now that, it's okay. Like, you know, it's not like, it's not life and death, but it's just very interesting to me that the government would rather pay these people to come into our home in the same disruption and the same state of what happened this morning, but they will not pay me as his caregiver who's doing the work properly and the majority of the day. Right. And, and they're leaning on you for that support. Yes. Right? And exactly. And nobody, you know, the doctor's, and I remember specifically having this conversation with Dan's surgeons in in their office when Dan was, you know, they were talking about having this operation and then the secondary surgery that will follow this one. Um, if the patient decides, if, if the person's spinal cord injury decides, is a tendon transfer where you are in a cast for three months per arm. So half of the year you're recovering in a cast that sticks straight out basically while you recover. And, you know, both of the surgeons looked at me and they said, well, this is a pretty big deal for the partner too, because this is going to really heavily depend and fall on your lap because you are the one that's going to be there. And right away, I kind of looked at him and I said, yeah, and what's wrong with that system, right? Um, that's just the way it is. And, and, and also, you know, I'm sort of thinking, what about the person who has children who has an office job that they need to go to nine to five and they're doing this and there's no support? Like, again, without feeling too bitter, um, it, it's the system is not set up for success. It's it's heavily, heavily dependent on family caregivers for, for whom are not being compensated. And especially through COVID, we sort of went through this process of we are the women who are keeping our men safe at home. And we've, we've heard this time and time again, that the healthcare system heavily, heavily relies on family caregivers. The majority of the time, the family caregivers are the spouses um, to keep these men and women safe at home. So 
I mean, circling back to that, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, very interesting. It's all very interesting. I'm very hopeful that by us sharing our experience and our stories with people that may not know what it's like to care for somebody with a spinal cord injury day to day, I hope that it sort of brings a little bit more awareness to that. But so the other piece to all of this is um, right now my car is having issues, so I need to go see my mechanic. And now I've called Dan's mom to come and spend the day and night because he really can't be alone. He can't be left alone just in case anything. It's not even just in case anything happens. It's like, it's more like, okay, well, eventually his leg bag will fill up. And And if there's like a fire or anything, he won't be able to get out. No. And that's another piece to that too, is our, our home door right now is set up that it locks for whatever bizarre reason it locks when you close a door. So if he's inside and he's calling for help, nobody can come in and open the door. So there's just a lot of stuff to juggle there, right? You want to make sure your partner's safe, they have the proper support, that they're not feeling like they're a burden on other people too. It's it's a partnership for sure. So his sister came out yesterday and she made a whole bunch of frozen meals for us this week. And she just, you know, filled our, our deep freeze with those. And his mom's coming out tomorrow to come and be with Dan, um, to be with him all day and she's spending the night and then I can sort of deal with our car issues, but it really takes a village. It takes a good community to not go crazy when you're trying to navigate all of the uh, juggles and whatnot. And of course my mom's calling me too. My mom is in a home um, here in Vancouver who, who also needs a lot of attention and a lot of care and has her own, um, challenges with with Parkinson's going through so you know sometimes it can feel like you're sort of like oh I'm I'm juggling a lot here but I guess the moral of the story is be prepared know what you're getting yourself into I know that Brooke and I say this often is do your own research and and nobody is gonna hold your hand and walk you through this you really have to take the situation by the reins and set yourself up for success because it could, it could have gone really badly. Like there's so, we have so much to be thankful for right now that the fact that I can support Dan and the fact that we are having help from, from our family, but there are a lot of situations where people just don't have these luxuries and these privileges to have family come in and support or have people take over or do things for you or, you know, whatnot. So, once again, you guys, this is what Brooke and I love to do is share our personal experiences. So hopefully somebody listening to this episode will be able to take something away from it and learn from it or even have a conversation about it and open up that stage to to talk about it. So as far as recovery, how long is the recovery? Like, what did they say? Like, how long would he be kind of out of commission? So what we were told was that it's going to be two weeks for things to sort of settle down a little bit. Then he will not be doing any sort of rehab for the first six months. They want things to sort of, I guess, regrow for six months. It takes the nerves a while to like retach, regrow, which I understand. Um, And then he's going to be doing very, very intensive physical therapy, which is also covered um, through 
through the, uh, I guess, like the process of having the procedure, the operation paired with that is that you do get a couple years of intensive therapy. You want to retrain your brain through neuroplasticity to function for your, your, I guess, hand and your wrists and your arm function to function differently than it did before. But it it's very intensive work. It's not a joke. Like I really want people to understand. Don't take this lightly. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's still an invasive, in my mind, it's an invasive surgery, you are still being operated on, you are still going to need a lot of support, a lot of help. Um, you need to find a system that is going to set you up for success. Um, you know, it, be prepared for things to happen the way they did for us, which is, you know, the burning feelings of the left arm for things to sort of go a little bit sideways. Because I feel like a lot of the time too, and I'll be completely honest about this, a lot of the the time too, doctors present and the medical healthcare system presents these dreamy, romanticized um, goals for how things are going to show up you know, oh, you're just going to go in for the surgery. Oh, it's a day surgery. Oh, you're going to be able to push your chair out of here. You're going to be totally fine. Um, thank, God, thank God you guys got the power chair fixed up and ready to go. Yes, absolutely. So we've had the power chair sitting basically in storage. Dan's never used this power chair. And because of that, the battery died, right? Because you have to keep it charged and uncharged and make sure it's working. So our battery arrives tomorrow, which is going to be amazing. He's going to be able to use the power chair and regain a bit of independence just to even move around freely in the house. Like the thing about wheelchairs is a lot of people think, oh my God, you're in a wheelchair. It's like, no, the wheelchair symbolizes independence and power. Literally, you can have the power back in your own life by being able to move around. That's huge, right? Yeah. And I know Evan always says like, people like everyone's so focused on getting in a manual chair as soon as they can. And like, this happens to every guy that we've seen or known. Mm -hmm. And when we went to adapt, they were like, yeah, this happens to literally every guy. They're like obsessed with getting in a manual chair because they think it makes them less noticeable. They think it looks better. But like at the end of the day, you have to do what works for you. And like my husband's power chair is his independence. Like it helps him to get around as he needs, you know, it's not a bad thing, right? Not at all. Not at all. And especially, well, when I see Evan too, like when I see you and Evan walking down the street or whatever, Evan has his backpack, you know, to his power chair. Usually Tywin is hooked up to his power chair. Evan's moving himself independently. And you're usually walking pretty freely beside him, right? And you can walk side by side while he's got his own independence too. So I feel like this is really great for us though, because Dan's been really quite independent throughout, like I want to say the last few years, especially last like three years, he's really on the move a lot of the time. Like he's go, go, go. And now he's not even leaving the house that it's like, I'm so excited for him to get into this power chair because I just want to go for a walk with him. Like, I just want to leave the house together. You know, I don't want to, I don't want him to feel like he's stuck here, just sitting here, because that's also a huge part portion to recovery is, in my mind, a change of scenery, a change of environment. Don't get yourself stuck in one spot because that could lead to depression, to other things as well. And at this point, I'm like, we can't have any more secondary conditions. We have enough going on right now that I just, I'm just really excited just to like even go sit outside of our door and go sit in the sun in his power chair, you know? You know, what's really cool about all this is I remember a couple of years ago, you were like, 
no, we have a deadline. We're selling this power chair. It can't sit in our storage any longer. I've given Dan a deadline. He has to sell it. And then for whatever reason, you guys never sold it. Can you imagine if you sold it? I know. Totally. You'd have to like rent an old, like used power chair that wasn't set up for him. Yes. But in all honesty, at that time, we also didn't have any insurance coverage for anything. Like we were paying out of pocket for catheters. I I had a serving job just so we could sort of like supplement a bit of income. Like we were not in the same space that we were in now where it's like, we're not drowning. And so at that time, that significant amount of money was, it was huge. Like I was like, get rid of this piece of metal that's sitting here for years and years. You're not using it. It could go to somebody who can help. And then I actually remember um, somebody said to us, they're like, what? Oh, no, Dan had an arm injury. He did hurt his arm somehow. And then he looked at me and he's like, wow, I could really use that power chair right now. And he said, he's like, if this doesn't get better in the next couple of days, I'm going to switch into my power chair. And that was the first conversation that we had about, okay, um, if something happens to you, you have your power chair. So we've sort of like, God. Totally. So we, so we kept that, right? But it's yeah. funny how those things work out. Well, you, you got to trust the, uh, you got to trust that like these little coincidences and intuition. It's like, you got to roll with that because like you said, now that he's going, going through this, it's like, <laughs> we're so excited. We're like, Oh my God, the power chair. <laughs> like it's saving our lives. I can't wait. I truly cannot wait. I feel so thankful to have it. I feel so excited to have it. Um, well, yeah, especially because this is going to probably be a decent couple of years of rehab, mm-hmm. right? Like who mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen. So having that like oh, totally. there is so awesome. Totally. Well, because at first we were thinking, oh, like you're going to use your power chair maybe for like a week. But now I'm like, if you have to use your power chair for the next year, I really don't care. Like just do what you need to do to be comfortable, to be mobile, to be, you know, living your life again. And in our lives right now, the power chair is like the best thing that is going to happen to us for the time being. We are so excited to get that battery fixed, to get that power chair up and rolling. That's really awesome. Well, to be honest, I think this is really informative to hear from your from your words and from your experiences as to how this actually went because I know there's a lot of um a lot of women out there who have partners that are considering this and I remember when Evan was went to the clinic and they talked about it and when he was still in rehab, so it was very early on, they definitely made it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal and it was, you know, the recovery was just not bad and you would do this, but it's like nobody really thinks about how this impacts the caregiver or the partner, right? And so that's why it's good that we're talking about this because you have to take that into consideration. These people, I'm glad the doctors did, but like they have to understand that like you need nursing support, you need um, equipment support, you need family support. You need to consider all of these things before you jump into doing something like this because, yeah, like you said, he's going to have a few years of recovery. It's not just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Now you can move your, now you can have a pinch grip, right? Right. It's a lot of work and it's like his process, which is great, but the support needs to be there. And so that's where this comes in. That's where like your story comes in is like people considering this, even people that aren't in a relationship with someone with a spinal cord injury, um, or, you know, maybe your family member has a spinal cord injury and you listen to this podcast for for information and resources, which a lot of our followers do, a lot of our listeners do. Um, it's important to know this because then you can offer your support and help if someone you love is considering the surgery. You can, you can kind of like 
you know, go in and say, here, this is what I can do to support you. Right. You know, and a lot of the time too, like, I feel that people don't really understand what it's like to be the caregiver for somebody with a spinal cord injury. I mean, I'm going to circle back to this because I feel like I consistently have to explain this to people like my mom, Um, you know, even friends that are like, oh yeah, you must have like, wow, you must have such a good life. Like all you guys do is just like hang out and like, you know, um, you guys hang out, you, but it can't be that hard for you to like, you know, help Dan and oh my God, he's doing all these amazing things. He's going to school. He's got, you know, he's starting his rec therapy career. Wow. You guys are doing so great. It's like, people don't understand the amount of work mentally, physically, emotionally that it has taken us to get here. It is insane. (laughs) It's insane to put it lightly. I'm tired. I'm exhausted right now. I think I'm feeling this more right now this week because it's just like hit us like a ton of bricks, but don't, you know, I don't know. I kind of gets to a point where when I talk to my friends who have, you know, I had a girlfriend who had a baby and stuff and I'm like, yeah, you're totally, she tells me, I feel like, you know, moms should get an award for being parents and oh, it's so hard. And I was like, you know what? You're totally right. You should get an award where it's like, sometimes I feel like I've been doing this for a long time without any sort of recognition from any sort of government system, without any pay from any sort of healthcare system for doing this. I wouldn't, traded for the world because I'm very proud of like how hard we have worked and where we have gotten. But at that time, there was no way that I could even picture that. I thought we were really, really stuck and that it would be really hard to get here. But, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who is a WAG of SCI will completely understand this, but it's a tremendous amount of work that is consistent. It doesn't just go away because a person had a spinal cord injury and they're in a wheelchair. And a lot of people look at that. Oh, that's so sad. Oh my gosh. He's in a wheelchair. It's like, you're totally, you're barely looking at the tip of the iceberg. Like you don't have any idea what spinal cord injury entails because it's a daily process of living. It doesn't just stop. It doesn't just like go away one day. It's like, okay, today we're, we're fixed. We're done. Okay. That part of our life is over. It's like, no, you just adjust, you adapt, you adjust, and you truly just create new routines and new ways of living and new ways of seeing things that work for you. It's not just the chair. And Again, the wheelchair is actually a tremendous source of independence. It's not something to be sad about. The wheelchair is, it is your legs, right? It's, it provides so, so much freedom and independence and it's personal to you. And it's, it's actually quite an amazing piece of equipment that I know that we are so fortunate to have. Yeah, well, this is all so great. I'm really glad that we could hop on and talk about this today. I know this is going to be a good resource for a lot of people. And it's, again, our goal with this podcast is always to provide resources for women in the long term. These episodes are going to be up on our website for indefinitely, as long as we we choose to keep them up. It's really important. So anyone considering this surgery, even in a few years, can look back and, and see our experience mm-hmm. as a caregiver. It's really important. So... Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know it's incredibly personal and I know, you know, you always are willing to like talk about your struggles and your, you know, what you've learned. And I think it's really, really helpful and it's going to help a lot of people. So, um, 
A reminder out there, uh, we wanted to thank our sponsor, Robin Wishart, who we have some incredible things planned for the coming years after COVID um, with Wishart Brain and Spine Law, who is our main sponsor. We wanted to thank Robin Wishart again, as we always do. Um, If you need any assistance with anything from a will to a power of attorney to resources in your area, she works North American wide and she has an incredible, incredible spider web of connections. Um, she guest lectures at Harvard University. She's super successful and she focuses just on brain and spinal cord um, injury. So she knows what's up. If you need any help or any assistance, even with a letter of support, this woman can really use her power for good. And we are so happy to have her. So she will provide these resources free of charge for the Wags of SCI community. All you need to do is email us, wagsofsci at gmail.com. You can also visit her website, brainandspinelaw.com. And, you know, all our followers that are overseas that have reached out to us recently and who have found us recently, we thank you so much for tuning in. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing to know that we still have uh, new followers coming, uh, you know, every week, it seems, that didn't know about Wags Vestia. Because it's hard, because we were talking about this earlier, Elena, about how it's like, you think that you've found everybody, you think that you've had, because it's such a niche community. And then every week, we seem to get people being like, oh my God, we didn't know you existed, you saved my life like thank you so all the new listeners out there thank you for tuning in we hope you got something from this podcast and tune in next week because we have another good one coming next week and thank you absolutely so enjoy the rest of your week and thank you for sharing your time and space with us today cheers and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website wagsofsci.com or donate directly to the Wags of SCI We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.